I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, how safe is California from yet another surge of the coronavirus? In four of the past seven days, the U.S. saw at least 50,000 new cases. Infections are spiking in the Midwest. But California is a little different. Here, the number of people hospitalized with COVID-19 is way down from the peak. But is California about to surge again? For that question, my guest is health reporter Aaron Alday. Aaron, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me again, Damien. Aaron, some recent headlines we've seen. Virus surges in Europe. Virus surges in North Dakota. Virus surges among Orthodox Jews. Are we entering a third wave of this pandemic? I think in the United States and and really kind of in the on the global scene, yes. Um, folks that I talk to say that this does look like a third wave. You know, it's really hard to kind of classify these waves. This thing is sort of this this rolling roller coaster ride, um, and it's kind of it can be hard when you're in the moment to identify, you know, your peaks and valleys. But that being said, it does indeed look like, you know, we are we are entering what, what could be classified as a third wave. We're certainly seeing cases surging um, in lots of parts of the United States. Yeah, I'm I'm always checking the 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 graphics, the charts. So I'm, I'm looking at, at, at different states and the country and I'm seeing the sort of shape of the curve. And in California, it, we have dropped a lot and now we've kind of leveled off. Um, is there anything to be concerned about, about that sort of valley we're in? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think on the whole, we should feel really good about that. What what we're seeing is our efforts of really kind of locking things down again after we peaked, um, you know, during the summer surge, you know, instituted a lot of kind of restrictions, um, not quite sheltering in place again, but but pretty restrictive, you know, protocols there that, that were kind of getting people to, you know, get back inside, stay away from each other, avoid gatherings and drive down those numbers. And we're seeing that payoff now that really has worked. Um, and, you know, as we're I think what's what's really reassured me is now that we're reopening some more and in fact, reopening in ways that we haven't done since March, we're still seeing our cases pretty low. And as you pointed out, you know, hospitalization numbers are um, as kind of as low as they've ever been just about throughout this entire pandemic. Um, I think all of that is a really good sign. Um, the risk, of course, as you said, is what's happening in the rest of the country. We're seeing cases pick up, you know, in lots of, of parts of this country. And as I've said many times, California is not an island. We are um, vulnerable to what happens in the rest of the country, especially California, where, you know, we get a lot of visitors. We get a lot of kind of traffic in and out. Um, and so anything that happens anywhere else in the country could happen here. Um, and what I think our big takeaway from from the summer surges is that when cases pick up, it's explosive. It happens real fast. It gets out of control, you know, before you can really even even see the change in numbers. I think that's what we're hoping to do this time better is really, really closely follow these numbers. And if we see even kind of a glimpse of things headed in the wrong direction, we'll just clamp right down on that again. Now we mentioned we mentioned headlines, but there's also these images, right, of, of events that that may spread the virus. Obviously, the the White House outbreak. I was watching the uh, Lakers fans celebrating their championship out in the street, and you you worry about that. You worry about uh, large events and political rallies, and it it, it made me want to ask you for for spread of the virus is is it all sort of human behavior, or is there also anything seasonal? In the beginning, we talked about how the virus would simply come back in the colder weather. 
I think we can safely take seasonal off the board with this, um, at least as far as this initial kind of wave um, goes around the globe. Um, We may see this virus at some point become seasonal, but when you have so many people in the community, I mean, basically every single person in the world being vulnerable to this, it's just going to spread, you know, like crazy. Um, Clearly what we saw in California and other parts of the country with the surge over the summer Um, It spreads just as easily in the summer months as, you know, it did in that kind of initial wave um, in in March and April um, and in places like New York. Um, So I don't think that I don't think anybody's really counting on any sort of seasonality. We also saw plenty of cases, you know, in the summer, southern hemisphere, um, you know, in in places like uh, South America, when um, we might have thought that that they would have things but more under control. So, yeah, we haven't seen any evidence of that. I think, you know, when we see cases picking up, we can pretty reliably say it's because people aren't you know, following the the public health measures that that we've been told are so important, which is wearing your face coverings, um, mostly staying outdoors, not, you know, getting into crowds, staying out of, you know, social gatherings, um, all of the sort of basic, you know, social distancing practices that we've been working on so hard. That's really what's key. We've we've definitely locked on that um, over the last uh, eight months. I wonder if, if people might be interested. I mean, you're our lead health reporter on coronavirus. Do you have a, a ritual for the day where you sort of things that you monitor, whether it's numbers or even just images you see that that tell you kind of where we're at and kind of provide a baseline for you? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I go to our tracker right off the bat. Um, not to, to give that a plug, but I mean, I really do. Um, I, I go to our tracker. I just kind of you know, I do a quick glance at sort of the, we have some line charts there that give just a brief, you know, real quick sense of, you know, are we seeing any sort of upticks? Are we seeing, you know, what what direction are the lines trending? Um, I don't worry really, I don't pay, pay super close attention anymore to day-to-day cases or deaths. Um, you know, those can really kind of vary dramatically based on, you know, you can have like Santa Cruz County, for example, had an outbreak at a nursing home last week that shot their numbers up overnight. Um, and that can make it look like things are really spiraling out of control in Santa Cruz County when, in fact, that was, you know, one isolated incident, which is awful. It's a terrible situation. I think they've had nine deaths down there, but it's not necessarily telling us that the county is, you know, in trouble. So I, I prefer to follow those trends. Um, and then I, you know, I'll glance at the, the national numbers. I have a few different trackers that I will look at to kind of look at those cases over time. Um And so that's kind of the main stuff that I do. And then other than that, I just, you know, I read a lot of the news. I read our own news. I read all of, you know, the national outlets, um, local news. I just pay attention to all that. I want to ask you, Aaron, about one thing that you say in the article that came out this morning. And that is an expert that's saying California is the positive outlier among most states. What does that mean? So I think what they're what they're referring to is that California has kind of from the start really, you know, been on top, been using kind of the science driven data to make choices about how to respond to this pandemic. So California had the, was the very first to institute shelter in place back in March before any other state. Um, and of course the Bay area was even ahead of the state by a couple of days. Um, and even though we did have our surge, um, in April and May, actually May and June, um, you know, and that was that was unfortunate. What this person referred to was adaptive leadership, which is the sense that, and this is on both the state level and the county level and and local level that 
you know, our public health officials saw what was going on and they changed tactics. They they said, okay, well, this this is not quite working. What are we going to do different this time around? And, you know, they've been sort of willing to say we screwed up. We did this wrong this time around. Now we're going to we're going to look at the evidence again and make some different decisions. So that's that's why I think they were this person was referring to us being this positive outlier that we have kind of consistently dealt with cases, um, seen these kind of surges and then reacted and driven them back down through through evidence, through science. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, more with Fifth and Mission right after this. Welcome back. I'm Damian Bulwa, joined by health reporter Aaron Alday on Fifth and Mission. Aaron, let's talk a little bit about the president of the United States, something everyone has been watching and that you've been reporting on. First off, what are we learning about the president's treatment for his infection? And and what does that tell us about the road ahead and treatments? So I think, you know, what we learned, I mean, what what is especially remarkable, of course, you know, the president does seem to have recovered relatively well. I mean, it still is, you know, early enough that it's possible he could um, he could still kind of run into trouble um, in, in the near future. But increasingly, doctors are thinking that's unlikely, that he does seem to have made um, a pretty solid recovery here and a pretty quick recovery. Um, he did get, you know, at least one really experimental treatment that has not been given to many people at all, which are these monoclonal monoclonal antibodies, um, an antibody cocktail. Um, you know, the president said that that he thinks is what what he used the, the, the word cured him. Um, I think scientists are pretty skeptical about that. You know, you always want to be careful with using the word cure. And he's just, you know, one person and one treatment. Um, and he did get a couple of other, you know, fairly new treatments, um, an antiviral um, remdesivir and, and a steroid treatment that was a really aggressive treatment. So, you know, it was probably a factor of all three of those. Um, I think it's certainly, you know, it's exciting for those antibodies. They may indeed have made a big difference. Um, it may have been a combination of all those, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. But, you know, I mean, as a as a case of one, you know, one doctor I talked to last week um, was saying at, at the very least, this shows, you know, we can take a 74 year old man who's in, you know, some high risk categories here really was not looking at good odds, great odds when he when he tested positive. And with really aggressive, um, high-end care, we can have a good outcome for that person. Um, so I think that's certainly is one of the takeaways. What that means for the average person is is different, of course. You know, not not most people have um, access to the to the therapies that the president got. Of course, another issue about this is the president's outlook after getting it, and and some people's hopes that he would come out and say. You know, I learned my lesson. Please wear a mask. This is really serious. But on Monday, his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, um, was talking to reporters and and the one of the reporters asked him to keep his mask on when he answered questions. And instead of doing so, he he marched off and said, I don't want to answer questions through my mask. And so, it, you know, it seems that there is is still this approach by the administration. Um, what are the experts telling you about that approach? Well, obviously, they're not fans of it. Um, you know, the public health folks will say the science is just you can't argue with it at this point. Masks are hugely helpful in preventing spread of this disease um, and 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 also maybe protecting people, you know, from from getting infected, um, not just from transmitting it, but actually being infected with it. Um, the fact that the president, you know, has continued to just go out in public without masks, um, taking them off when he's around other people. 
um, that all of his staff is repeatedly doing this, especially considering they're in the middle of an outbreak. I mean, the White House is in the middle of an outbreak still. There's so many people. Um, last I saw it was more than 30 people had tested positive um, who were in the White House or had affiliations with events there recently. Um, and that they still won't won't go with the mask. I mean, that's basic stuff just to put on a face covering. Um, so yeah, there, there are people that are really angry and really frustrated by that and really disappointed that this opportunity that, that the president didn't take this opportunity to really get that, that message out there after he kind of came face to face with this virus. And the real concern is, you know, now he's back on the campaign trail. He's going to be holding these mass events, which also, you know, these rallies, which also are not encouraged. You see images from there of people at these rallies, not wearing face coverings and all this is happening while we're seeing cases surge in a large in large parts of this country and and also while we're approaching the flu season which you know we don't want to have a lot of virus circulating in this country when we hit the flu season and potentially have you know not to use a cliche but this twindemic of two viruses circulating at the same time yeah what is the latest on the flu season that's something i wanted to ask you so the latest is it's or too, way too early to say exactly, you know, what we'll be dealing with there on the positive front. I'll start with there's some, you know, some folks are, are thinking that if if we are good with our our social distancing protocols, that we may see actually a very light flu season. Um, certainly there's hope in California where people have been pretty good with with following, you know, face coverings and avoiding gatherings that we may not get that much flu virus um, because people are you know, all all the things that we do to stop spread of, of coronavirus also can stop spread of influenza. Um, on the other side of that, you know, there are plenty of places where we're not seeing that. And the problem with getting both of these viruses at the same time is that the flu season already stretches our hospitals very close to the limit. In fact, most hospitals, most public health systems are kind of designed around the flu season being their peak. So they prepare for this surge. They're set up for you know, whatever their kind of maximum flu season is. So even if we get sort of a relatively normal flu season, never mind like a really bad one, but just a normal one, that already puts us, you know, kind of at our limit in a lot of places. If you get then coronavirus on top of that, and we know what coronavirus can do to strain a hospital system, I mean, that could really be a disaster in some places. I want to ask you too, Aaron, about vaccines. Where are we um, not only in developing them, but in the challenges of how they would be distributed in places like California? Well, so I think that, you know, there's general agreement that we there's a good chance we will have one or two vaccines um, that are approved by the FDA by the end of the year um, or at least early next year. Um, you know, we won't have one before Election Day, which was something that the president had promised or had spoken about before. There was definitely some concern for a while there that this vaccine, that these vaccines are going to be pushed through as sort of a political maneuver tied to the election. I think there's a lot less concern about that now. Um, and, you know, the vaccines that are close to maybe being approved by the end of the year, those are, you know, from what we know, they do seem to be safe. Um, they are in large, you know, phase three clinical trials, which is the last stage before you would get approval. Um, kind of everything is going kind of as you would want it to, to show that something is safe and is effective. Um, I think the concern is that these first vaccines probably won't be great. They're not going to be like home runs. Um, it's, uh, you know, it remains to be seen just how effective they are. There also won't be huge quantities of them. I mean, there will be, you know, hundreds of millions of doses, but it's not going to be enough 
to, you know, get everybody vaccinated right out of the gate. We're going to have to be making some some decisions about who they go to first, you know, probably first responders, hospital workers, those folks. Um, there's a whole tier that's being developed um, federally and in California statewide as to, you know, who those priority groups would be. But I think in general, the, the, the main takeaway is that we're probably not looking at widespread vaccination until I would guess like mid next year sometime. That seems to be, you hear anywhere from like summer to fall of 2021 before we really have something that we can get out to a large, a large part of the population. All right, I want to ask you one last question, and it's something I think about a lot, is, you know, is there a scenario where we could have shut this thing down by just being really strict for a few weeks early on and avoided all of this roller coaster up and down third wave uh, surges? That's an excellent question. You know, that's that gets into a lot of speculation, a lot of opinion. Um, I think Certainly, if we had been really aggressive with sheltering in place nationwide early on, I think the what, what folks agree on is that we could have gotten this down to a low enough level that it would be much more containable at this point. I don't think we were ever, we're not really set up, we were ever going to be in a position to just knock it out completely, like some countries, um, New Zealand, um, South Korea, you know, even China to a degree has managed to do that. We're just not kind of set up to, to really be able to have tackled it to that level. I think we were always going to have a certain level, but you know, we might've been able to be like Canada, like some other countries where they've, they've had kind of constant low level virus in the community, but you know, you can do your contact tracing, you can do your testing and really kind of keep cases under control to the point where, you know, much of our economy remains open. I mean, you know, there are folks that say now, if we were all wearing masks, if we were all really good, about social distancing, um, you know, not doing gatherings, not getting together with friends and, and, you know, kind of misbehaving in those ways that we could actually have schools back. We could have a lot of our, our lives back if, if we all kind of got on this together. All right, Aaron, on that note, thanks again for joining me and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Amy. And good talking to you. Thanks to my guest today, Chronicle Health reporter Aaron Alday, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.